That's fun for him. Uh, but unfortunately for me, that means two welcomes in a row. Uh, if you remember my thoughts from last week about doing the welcome, uh, I appreciate your condolences at this time. Uh, but even that, it's worth it to be with all of you this morning. Uh, and that kind of trampolines us into the message today. Uh, see, most times I start with a sermon with some, some crowd engagement or, or a test or a quiz or, or a funny confession of some sort. Uh, but today it's a very real confession. Something that I struggle with a lot. And I don't think I'm alone in that, especially after the past couple of years. Uh, the word of the day is cynicism. Ooh, what a word. The idea of being cynical. Uh, if you don't know what cynicism is, it's kind of the idea along the lines of pessimism. Not where everything is necessarily going to be bad or wrong, uh, but cynicism concerning people or things and events and their motives. Uh, for example, if I could put in some terms that might help. Uh, cynicism is along the lines of the schools of thought like optimism. So optimism says the water glass is half full. Pessimism says the water glass is half Cynicism would say, well, I guess they were out of Coke. That's probably where I put cynicism in that line mindset. Uh, or, or another example of cynicism is if you're at a friend's uh, at, at a meal, eating at a restaurant, and there are four or more of you, and the server comes along and doesn't have a pen or paper to take your order but says they'll remember it, the first thought you have might be a little cynical if you say, well, I'm excited to order my food twice. That's along the lines of cynicism where I'm from. Uh, if you want to really test your cynicism, uh, watch a Disney movie and tell me what side you end up on at the very end. For example, I watched The Little Mermaid, because if I were the dad in that story, and my 16-year-old daughter swims up to me and says, Daddy, I love him, I'd say, no, you do not. <laughs> not on my watch. See, that might be a test of how cynical you're getting is who you side with on Disney movies. Uh, but maybe the ultimate form of cynicism, uh, the, the best example I have actually comes from last week. Uh, see, we talked about if you know what I mean, talking about meaning what we say, all that kind of stuff. And I mentioned that this week's going to be about cynicism. And Miles Baum approached me after church. And he says, this, this is the, the top comment I've ever gotten after a sermon, so this is the one to beat. He said, and I quote, you know your sermon next week about cynicism. It's probably going to stink. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, that's a good example of cynicism. Uh, and I, I, I struggle with cynicism a lot. Those are very light examples. Uh, there's also a form, if that didn't reach you, of church cynicism. I'm going to be very careful with how I approach this. But for example, if you've ever cracked open the bulletin and counted how many songs we were going to sing and kind of went, oof. Anybody want to confess with me church cynicism? We have, thank you, thank you. This is a safe place to confess. Or maybe if you crack open the bulletin and you see the words, special collection. Anyone have some cynicism maybe coming up there? A couple, yeah. Uh, or, for example, knowing that after church, you have about eight seconds to escape before the aisle cloggers get in the way of everything and there's no escape. <laughs> Anyone want to confess their church cynicism? A couple more of that, yeah. See, that, that's, those are very light, easy examples. Uh, even concerning song leading. Uh, I talked to Tylon Delgado about this. He and I are the same mind. Uh, and, and it's kind of negative. Anytime someone says, let's stand and sing... My first thought sometimes is, ugh, which also matches the sound I make actually standing up, so that might be a problem why. But that's, that's, that's light, easy examples of cynicism. However, there is a line that you cross concerning cynicism that take things a little too far. And see, that's the title of today is sin-acism. 
So even if you cracked the bulletin open and said, yeah, this guy came in spell right, I promise you this was purposeful. But there's that line you cross where all of a sudden the cynicism in our minds, the being cynical towards things, steps directly into sin. For example, cynicism towards people. Not just the, the light things, but actually seeing people and having immediate thoughts or events that are happening and having immediate thoughts about how they're going to go without even experiencing them. So my goal this morning is very simple. Uh, to step through some of the big reasons of why cynicism hits us so hard. The things that cause cynicism, but then also how to fight those things. So I, I present to you this morning nothing that I'm a professional on. In fact, this is going to be the biggest chance for me to practice what I preach, because it's tough. So number one, one thing that hits us the most is preconceived notions. Preconceived notions about people, about events, about things. So again, the light example is if you're in a movie theater, which I personally love going to, and people walk in, and it's the, the trailers, the pre-show, but they're talking in more than a whisper. I have preconceived notions about these kind of people. That's the light example. But you can take this too far. You can have preconceived notions about people based on what they look like, based on what they believe, their political beliefs, what they say about church, what they say about each other. You can have preconceived notions that stack up all this negativity against someone you've never even met yet. Preconceived notions. One example I think of is in the book of Jonah. There are biblical examples we're going to look through of all these examples. Jonah's a prophet, and God tells Jonah, you're going to the town of Nineveh, which is a very wicked city. Jonah, knowing that, said, no, I am not. And he takes off, he runs, and we know the story, the, the, the big fish that swallows him up. But then he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the word, and he goes up, and he sits on a hillside, and he waits, because of his preconceived notions, knowing God is going to destroy this wicked city because of what he thought about these people. He didn't know, however, that this king of this city made an edict that everyone repents and follows God, and he's sitting there waiting for God to destroy these people. And God said, these people are worth more than you could imagine to me. Don't let your preconceived notions, your cynicism, get in the way between my righteousness and my judgment. Don't have preconceived notions about people because you'd be sitting on a hill waiting for God to work and destroy people's lives. And he says, no, 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 they're doing the right thing here. What are you doing sitting there? Watch your preconceived notions. There's even one in the New Testament that I'm actually quite fond of. Uh, John 1.43. At this time, Jesus is kind of gathering his disciples. He, he's getting his people together to, to start this mission. This is what happens to John 1.43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now pay special attention to what he says in response to this. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Can you hear the cynicism? And he said this about the Son of God. Nazareth, what, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Preconceived notions, even though he's talking about the actual Messiah. Philip's saying, we, we found the guy we're waiting for, waiting for this entire time, we found him. The one Moses wrote about, we found him. He says, he's from Nazareth? Really? Preconceived notions lead directly to cynicism about entire groups of people or things that happen at church, or events, having these preconceived notions about how we think they're going to go when it's not that way at all. In fact, the, the way to fight this, the, big, the first challenge for all of us, 
It's because no matter who we are talking with, no matter who it is, despite even what they do to us, every single person bears the image of God. Every single one. Despite what they do to you, even if it's the most wrongdoing you could possibly fathom, they have the image of God upon them. They have the ability to become better and to change because they bear the image of God. Now, God can't change because God can't get any better than he already is. He is the best. But what if the first time we experience someone, we erase all preconceived notions except for they bear the, God, the God's image. They bear the image of God. What if that's our first thought anytime we meet someone? Whether it's a church or it's a stranger at a restaurant, at work, what if the first thought we have about anyone we see is they bear God's image? Would that affect how we treat people? Would that help the cynicism? Because I'll also confess that the title cynicism is I have a motto that I've developed over the past couple of years. I put the sin in cynical, which is kind of lighthearted and funny, but also very dead serious. So how do we fight this idea? Number one, we stop our preconceived notions and we give the image of God where it is on people, that God created himself. Let that change our mindset first. That all people bear the image of God, no matter what they do to us. Even Jonah, that was a wicked city. It was a terrible place. But after he preached, they changed. Why? The image of God was on them, and they found God. That's number one. Number two, personal experiences can make you very cynical. The more things you go through in your life, the more tough stuff, the more seasons of life that are difficult to handle, those can also affect your cynicism. We have so many examples here. On the, in the book of 1 Kings, we have Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. And there's this famous story where he is challenging all these false prophets and false gods on this mountain. He says, you guys bring your sacrifice, I'll bring sacrifice. We'll both pray to our gods, and whichever one answers with fire is the one true God. And these false prophets yelled and screamed, and nothing happened. And Elijah says one word to God and just says the one phrase, God, let it be known you're God. And God takes the entire offering. He burns the ground around it. He laughs with the water around it. This incredible scene. But this is what happens after that. This is after Elijah runs. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. That's terrifying. That's a personal experience that you don't easily shake. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Can you hear the cynicism? I am no better than my ancestors. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So his personal experience so far has been tough. He's being pursued. He's afraid for his life. He is praying for death. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have received your covenant. They've rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Can you hear it? The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. I love that thought. Elijah's saying, I've broken everything. The Israelites have broken your covenant. I'm the last one left. I'm the last prophet. Let me die. And God said, go out to the mountain because I'm about to pass by. Imagine what he'd see and hear. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he says the exact same thing. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The exact same thing he said before. But can you hear? I'm the last one left. I'm the last prophet. All these people have broken your covenant. I'm the last one. I'm the last prophet. And God's response is very interesting. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Mehelah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword, and Haziel and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah's saying, I'm the last one, and God's saying, Go back where you came from and go anoint this king, go anoint this king, go anoint this prophet because there are 7,000 I've reserved that have not done what these people have done. So I wonder if that cynicism melted away a little bit. Well, let us like God still had a plan because he still preserved his Israel. So then the, the point for you this morning, the point for us concerning our citizen, that there is nothing you can do not a single action you can make, not a single word you could say, not a change any of us could do that affects the sovereignty of God. Not one. Not one thing we do could change God's sovereignty. Because Elijah thought he was alone, said, I'm going to die. No one else, your, your prophets, your people, all of them are gone. But God said, go back where you came from and see what my plan is. Nothing you do can affect God's sovereignty. So let that melt your cynicism away knowing but yes, this is how I phrase this. The choice is ours. The choice is always ours, but the outcome is always his. Sovereignty. Let that melt your cynicism away that God has complete control. Even though we have the choice, he has the outcome. So let that melt away. Don't take the, the sin and cynical anymore concerning personal experiences because God can take your personal experiences and maintain his sovereignty. And still save Israel like Elijah did through Elijah. And still save you through Christ. He still has his sovereignty. Another example in the New Testament is Paul. Now, I think if anyone has a right to be cynical, it'd be Paul. This dude went through a lot. More than anyone I think could actually bear. In fact, he talks about this specifically. Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, starting in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. The same person who was shipwrecked, who was beaten, who was dragged out to the city gates and stoned, who was persecuted, the same person who even started out persecuting Christians. This guy is now writing, praise be to the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our need. And he says, we despaired of life. Our hearts felt the sentence of death. Can you hear the cynical? But he said the word, but. This happened, our personal experiences happened so that we could rely on God and put our hope where it's meant to be. Set your hope on the living God. Despite your personal experiences, because I've never been shipwrecked. I once lost my hat over a cruise liner. That's the closest I've ever come. <laughs> but I've never been shipwrecked. I've never been stoned or beaten. I've never had that kind of persecution in my life. But Paul says, who had set your hope on God, who will deliver us. Let the cynicism melt. Despite what we go through, let him melt because God says, set your hope on me. Set your hope, despite the personal experiences. Be like Paul, who writes about God comforting everyone and the things that we suffer, it's for other people's comfort. How does that even make sense? That's, that makes me think cynical thoughts, but God says, no, it makes perfect sense because what you suffer, they'll suffer. And when you find that comfort about that thing, so will they. Set your hope on God. And last, the biggest one is we're just plain tired. That leads to cynicism. Being just plain tired. Past couple of years, I've been so tired. All the stuff. I hate Facebook. I hate social media because in the past two years, it's been insane. It all started, remember, in 2019. Let's go back a little bit. Do you remember 2020? What that was like? We are still reeling from that and still trying to get back to where we were before that. And people, it got crazy, and my cynicism shot through the roof because of people. But now I stand here, and I'm very honest about my cynicism. I'm tired, just plain tired, which is the most tired you can get is just plain tired. And people say that, and you know they're very tired. <laughs> we get just plain tired. So despite, this kind of wraps up everything, despite the personal experiences that you keep on going through that makes you tired, despite the preconceived notion because you're tired of seeing the same things happen from the same kind of people, all that stuff is wrapped up here. We're just plain tired. But to that, 
we go to Galatians 5.16. This is where we start talking about how to change this. Galatians 5.16. Again, this is Paul writing. This is what it says. So I say, live by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit was contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. I love that part. The sinful nature, the, the sinicism, is at conflicts with the Spirit. It doesn't go together. You can't have cynicism and the Spirit. See, because cynicism says, roll your eyes. An eye roll. Roll your eyes at people. Roll your eyes at events. Roll your eyes. Be an actual walking eye roll. So while cynicism says, roll your eyes, the Spirit says, open them. Open them. See, focus on what is unseen, not what is seen, because what's unseen is forever. The cynicism here is temporary. So cynicism says, roll your eyes. The Spirit says, open them instead. Cynicism, again, says other things like that. Cynicism says, have your preconceived notions about people. But the Spirit says, everyone has the image of God and love your neighbor as yourself. And cynicism says, above all things, when you are tired, it doesn't get any better. Stay tired, stay under the tree and beg for death. Jesus says, if you're tired, come to me. If you're weary, come to me. If you're heavy laden, come to me. Do you see how it can mix? So cynicism should be gone because the Spirit says, all that stuff cynicism says, erase it and come rest. It keeps on going. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Take the cynicism and replace it with love and joy and peace and the fruits of the Spirit. That's what taking cynicism away means. We can't have cynicism and be filled with the fruits of the Spirit because it doesn't mix. You can't have joy if you're full of cynicism towards people. You can't have peace if you're cynical about everyday life. We can't have that because it doesn't mix. It's contrary to what the Spirit is trying to give you. So erase the cynicism, which takes us to our verse this morning, especially concerning being just plain tired. Galatians 6.9, which we read this morning. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Do not tire of doing good, despite the personal experiences, despite the preconceived notions, despite being exhausted. Don't tire of doing good to everyone. 
especially to those who believe. Don't tire of that, because at the right time, if we don't give up, if we don't give in to that cynicism, God will reap a harvest you couldn't imagine happening. So as we have opportunity, let us do good. Do we have that here? Do we have opportunity here to do good to all people? Absolutely we do. It may not seem like it sometimes, it may not look like it sometimes, but just the fact that we're here together this morning and we have aisle cloggers who are willing to talk to people, that's a huge plus. So let the cynicism melt. And don't get tired of doing good. Because the last thing we're going to talk about is how we should actually approach cynicism. We have to go from cynicism to sincerity. Cynicism to sincerity. Paul also writes about this in Galatians. He talks about we have dealt with you and we've dealt in the world in sincerity and holiness. We're confident. We boast about this. That we can say we did not live this world with cynicism, but we did it in sincerity to God. So go from cynicism to sincerity. Drop all this other stuff. Remember people have the image of God. Remember people to not get tired and not give up on doing good. Remember that despite your personal experiences, God's sovereignty does not change. Let all those point you to being sincere with God and with each other this morning, especially to be sincere from cynicism to sincerity. That's a huge challenge. And that's not going to happen unless we change. We've got to change. Either change the things around us that are causing us this cynicism, or especially change internally if it's us causing that problem. Either way, we have to change and go from cynicism and being cynical towards things to being sincere in our faith and our walk and our hope with God. That's your homework. So good luck. That's your homework this morning. It's from going to cynical, to sincere, to change, and to see people as God intended them to be seen as his kids. And to let your personal experiences not dictate who you are, but don't forget God's sovereignty. And then to not be so exhausted, but to not tire of doing good and set your hope on God. So in a moment, we're going to have our last closing song, and I will ask you to stand. Uh, not because of spite, not because of any of that kind of stuff, but because I want us to realize when we stand before God, it's important to stand up together, no matter how we're doing, no matter how, prob- how many problems we have going on, to stand before God and express those things to him. And our elders will be around the room if you want prayers. And if you want to give your life itself over to God to, to stop the cynicism, an interest in seer worship of God and give your life in baptism, that's also for you today. But no matter what we do, as we're about to stand and sing, let us do with, with sincerity, not the sounds, not the grunts, not the little light, ugh, but stand together to praise our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Uh, God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for changing everything, Father, for giving us life, giving us it to the full. God, I pray our cynicism melts away. And no matter what we do, uh, God, we use all of our power and our strength and our mind and our hearts to glorify you. Uh, God, no matter how many songs we sing, how many prayers we pray or scriptures we read, uh, God, we don't tire of any of it. We just keep on doing good and let our cynicism melt away and be sincere in who we are. And if we're struggling, God, if it's a problem we're facing, if it's family stuff or work stuff or home stuff, whatever it may be, God, we can come to you in honesty, openness, and sincerity 
and change and follow you. God, may we see your creation as the way you made it. Let us have rest. Let us take our yokes and our heavy burdens to you. God, let us never change our personal experiences and think that's what makes us who we are instead of you making us who we are. Let us set our hope on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.